0: when the state sends this letter to the city of San Diego a paragraph dedicated to we like the idea of your AFFH but we need to see it actually happen I don't think it's going to take a lot of convincing to tell the state look they didn't do it it's been three years it's been five years they haven't done it there was a vote on this and they affirmatively voted it down it's not coming back they didn't hit the mark
1: right, so housing elements. John, let's start there. What the fuck is a housing element?
0: It's a great question. And it is the bureaucratic establishment's best attempt to confuse people on what should be something very easy to understand. Cities, uh, just like businesses, need to come up with long range plans on what the heck it is they're doing. And those plans, like a, a school paper, have to get broken up into sections so that people can easily navigate them. A housing element is nothing different than a housing chapter of a long range plan.
1: And so California has this complicated now law. The basic idea was cities were gonna get handed goals by the state about how much housing they needed to plan for. And then they're supposed to update their chapter of their general plan. And so we have this very complicated process Give us the high level where the state hands out a big housing goal. The city is supposed to rezone. How is that sort of working across California over the next like two years?
0: Yeah, so it's a, it's a big state. There's 539 cities. There's 58 counties or larger than, than Sweden and about six times as populous. So there's a lot of structure to make sure that whether it's the city of L.A. or the city of Oakley, that big to small, everybody is on the same page. And so regions study their anticipated growth over a period of time and send that to the state of California to examine. The state works with the Department of Finance, works with these regional calculations, does some statistical number crunching and says, okay, Greater LA, okay, San Diego, okay, Greater Bay Area, okay, Fresno, so on. Here is the amount of housing you'll need to accommodate births, population migration due to jobs and education, family growth. Here is the number of homes you will need in your region over the next eight years. And then those regions get that number back from the state, and they work within their own regions to split that number up and divide it amongst the individual cities and counties.
1: And then the city has to put forward a credible
0: plan. Right. Now we're back to the general plan. Now we're back to that housing element. So the city takes that number back from that regional uh, council and says, "Okay, we have our police powers with land use. Where the heck is all this housing going to go? And that's where they have to come up with their their housing chapter to describe where the housing is going to go, how it's going to go, what they're going to do to support it, what they're going to do to constrain it and make it look the way they want uh, and so on.
1: So San Diego put forward a plan on a scale of one to complete garbage. What do we think of their plan that they've put forward?
0: I would say it is sort of of, uh, Schrodinger's element in that (laughs) if you don't look at it too long, it's not bad. But once you start looking at it, it is bad. And, And part of that is because they submitted their initial first pass In October, they actually weren't even uh, due until April of 2021. But they said, you know, we sit at the front of the room, we bring an apple to our teacher every day, we (laughs) want to submit our plan early, October 2020. And unfortunately, we need more time to do some of this bigger, more complex work. But in broad strokes, the majority of our plan is done. Here you go, state of California. And they said, wonderful, great job. State of California gave them an A-plus with a little asterisk on top that said you have to finish the parts you left out by April, the actual due date. The plan that they submitted in October, perfectly fine. Nothing to worry about. The plan they submitted with the missing parts in April, not so hot. So I
1: guess this is like the the big question is, San Diego is a pretty pro-housing city, right? I mean, this is what's sort of boggling my mind is that, I mean, especially, we're going to have to get Cupertino through this process. We're going to have to get Beverly Frickin Hills through this process. And if San Diego is putting forward something that's a little mediocre, you know, that, that makes me worried.
0: Yeah, that's fair. You know, I would say that, The state of California has a law called Affirmatively Furthering Fair Housing. And while there's a federal government program under the same name, the state of California's version is less programmatic, less formulaic and more of a framework in which to evaluate the actions we're taking and do they increase or decrease segregation? Do they increase or decrease integration? Do they create opportunities or hoard opportunities? And in California, AFFH became the law of the land January 1st of this year. But you might remember that San Diego was sort of on the bubble. They submitted in October, but then again in April. And so when they submitted in October, the state said job well done, folks. However, because you're going to submit the rest of your plan after January 1st, you'll need to do some AFFH stuff. And while, of course, you know, not being a member of the state department of housing and community development and not a member of the city of San Diego, I was not privy to the internal conversations, but I'd like to think that <laughs> the city of San Diego said, Hey, wait a second state, what are we supposed to do? You don't have any guidelines. You don't have any guidance. You don't have any rules or safe harbors. And the state of California said, well, figure it out. And so the AFFH plan for the city of San Diego is not written in stone, I guess is what I'll say. You might have heard Todd Gloria, the mayor of San Diego, release his Access to Opportunity legislative package. Several, I think seven or eight key policies that would you know, just be incredibly progressive and truly work toward a more integrated and balanced community uh, within San Diego. However, those things are not law. Those things are not even being debated today. They're not going to be completed until within a year from now, two years from now. And so the state of California said, hey, that's a great plan, but you're going to have to actually adopt that as law if you want credit for it. So we'll tell you what, because AFFH law in California is like three paragraphs that says you should do this and you shall do that and you must do this but we didn't have any guidance or instructions for you when your plan was due, we will accept that you have this vision. And if you don't complete, if you don't convert and you don't actually make it across the finish line, we'll have to revisit whether your housing element really is in compliance or not.
1: So this is what I think I, I like about this. You know, it's like on the one hand, it's concerning because maybe San Diego turned in their housing element homework and it's not so good and it should be a lot better. And especially from a pro-housing city, it's like we really wanted them to do better. But at the same time, I'm really liking this idea that we're going to be putting housing elements on probation and reassessing because part of the problem we've had with this whole housing element process is that, yes, somebody puts forward what might appear to be a credible plan at the beginning when they submitted it but then it turns out that it was crap and so this idea of putting cities on probation where you then like monitor their progress seems like a really great step forward like provisional acceptance of a housing element is not something that we've seen a lot of before yeah i I mean so ab
0: 1397 was evan lowe's bill He's in Campbell in the Bay Area, back in 2018 or 17, I can't remember which. And it basically made the site inventory or the database where the city says all of our housing will go on this parcel and that parcel, and it will be zoned at this density. It does or does not already have utilities and infrastructure. Evan Lowe's bill made site inventories real and not just an academic exercise or a, a theoretical practice. And then Miguel Santiago is the author of AFFH. Uh, down in LA, he gave us this framework to work through, but David Chu last year from San Francisco, I guess this year, uh, I'm I'm speaking uh, in the past tense because the legislative session is, is all but done. David Chu's bill AB 215 would have required mandatory mid cycle in a four year mark review of housing elements. Unfortunately that bill didn't make it through, but this idea of, you know, that's fine that you make this claim, but we're going to hold you to it, that is, I think, key to preventing a decade at a time of lost momentum, where the state requires that the city essentially show its work and not just you know, make these claims about how good they are, how great they are, what we've done, what we can do, but what did you do?
1: I mean, this is what I love about the increasing focus on housing element overall. There's The one theory of how are we going to solve our housing shortage where the state mandates upzoning and we just have like rules. Okay, we're gonna have minimum standards. SB50 was in this mindset, but so is all of our ADU laws, where we're just gonna say the state says you're allowed to have ADU. SB9 is in this. We get duplexes, right? We're just gonna have state minimum standards. The other way of doing it is this complicated. you know, we set a goal and you have your local way of achieving that goal and you have a local argument about where you're going to put your own local housing, but you have to have a goal and a local, my, you know, the joke I keep going to is local control means a local argument. You guys get to fight about it. Cool. But then the reason this hasn't worked is because the local control means that they find elaborate ways to look like they're trying when actually, you know, they're like shoving the housing under the couch, they're putting it on a graveyard, they're putting it in places where they know it won't actually get built. And now we're seeing this ability of the state legislature to really ramp up the pressure and make these plans have to be increasingly realistic. And just the entire concept of checking in in two years and being like, cool. You had a plan, but did it work? I, I want HDD to like hold firm to this. I'm also worried, are they actually going to crack down in two years if they didn't crack down now?
0: Yeah. And part of the problem is with those bills I mentioned, with Evan Lowe's bill, with Miguel Santiago's bill and you know, Buffy Wicks and Scott Weiner and Tony Atkins, Nancy Skinner, these last four or five years of housing element law have really fundamentally rewritten this uh, area of law. And so we don't have a lot to compare it against. You know, it's not like 20 years after this change where it's like, okay, this has been working or we need some further tweaks. 2017 was really like that moment when you see that cool graphic in the documentary you're watching, and there's the bullet point on that map on the timeline. And like, that's when everything changed. Because before then, it was five decades of stuff it under the rug. Sweep it under the carpet. I think I mixed those metaphors, but otherwise, um, (laughs) you know, just between the late
1: put it under the carpet or in a graveyard,
0: right? Oh yeah, yeah, people do. So So between uh, the late 1960s and 2017, housing elements were: you hire a consultant, they aggregate a bunch of census data and look at some of the permit information, and then the city basically says we support housing as long as you have 20-foot front yard setbacks and (laughs) 20-foot backyard setbacks and 10 feet between property lines and your house is no more than one story and that each house has at least three covered parking spaces or a garage. I mean, so which it was to say we support housing so long as you don't build any new housing. And in, in just four years, we have... Dozens, I might say even approaching a 100 new laws related to housing, impact fees, floor area ratio, you name it, and ADU law. And we've seen that the preemption of local land use authority when it's in the state's interest to provide more housing opportunity, vis-a-vis all this ADU stuff, gets the goods. There are ADUs coming out of the ground like nobody could have predicted. Except the people who had been pushing for deregulation this whole time and saying, stop letting cities block us. And so now that we have that example, you know, we're kids in the candy store at the state legislature trying to get all the (laughs) new housing law we can because we see that it works. And so, you know, nobody wants to hear, give it time. But I think we've only had four years of this new paradigm in state housing law. And in that short window, we have yet to see a full housing element cycle turnover. And so we're now in that sixth cycle, that sixth eight-year cycle of housing elements. And San Diego, unfortunately, was on that bubble where they were kind of half in and half out over the when the the calendar changed over from 2020 to 2021.
1: What you're describing, especially if we think about housing elements as this like homework metaphor, we've got a new professor and- To some degree, what I'm worried about with the new professor is like, are they going to be so worried about the fact that they're doing things new, right? I I hear from HDD, they're like, we don't want to be too hard on cities. This is all new for them and new for us. And so we don't want to grade them too harshly. And then it's like, well, I mean, come on, man. We've been, (laughs) we passed all these new laws because we're in a freaking housing crisis. We don't want to be like quote unquote too easy on the cities when we're seeing mass homelessness and a freaking shrinking middle class. The entire point of this was to pass laws that we wanted to enforce. Anyway, I'll get off of my hobby horse. But,
0: but no, like, no, you're right.
1: You're right. Laws. So then, if HCD, this is this kind of like gray zone that we're in here that makes me anxious. On one level, I feel like HCD. And maybe this is like the best outcome we could have had, which is HCD wants to not be too hard on the the first people out of the gate who didn't have all of the affirmatively furthering fair housing stuff bulleted out for them. But, so they didn't give them an F, but they also didn't quite accept their homework. They said, okay, we're preliminarily accepting this and then we're going to come back and see if this is realistic. I mean, that's not a, bad outcome i just want this professor to be a little meaner but maybe that's what i always want
0: (laughs) no um you're right to continue the metaphor the syllabus was not well designed um (laughs) in june the state released a 94 page document on what affh means what it looks like what not to do what kind of things they're looking for. Here are some peer-reviewed academic journal articles about what is a racially or ethnically concentrated area of poverty. What is a racially concentrated area of affluence? They've got two pages within this 94-page document that are complex statistical formulas on how to calculate segregation and the concentration of certain demographics. This is not a joke. They are serious about this work. And also, San Diego turned in their homework in April before this document existed. Mm -hmm. So it's hard for the professor to say, well, you didn't quite measure up. Well, measure up to what? You didn't tell me what to do. I had to kind of figure it out on my own. So part of me wants to be understanding and patient with the city of San Diego. But on the other hand, part of me says, this is the city of San Diego. There's like 2 million people there. And Todd Gloria is pro housing, ran on that ticket, and he even did pro housing stuff in the state legislature. If I'm not mistaken, he was a co author to Miguel Santiago's AFFH bill, a principal co author. So it's not like this is some obstructionist city. It's not like it's a gigantic Beverly Hills and we got to take what we can get. So it's I'm trying to balance See, I go those the two other things. Direction, actually, I
1: think that if this was Beverly Hills, I don't know, it's hard to get into the psychology of a department. But if this was like Beverly Hills or one of the cities that we know are kind of intending to do less than is required, right? I mean, I think we we know Cupertino. Cupertino has barely hired somebody to even write this thing. But if we had a city that we knew was more anti-housing, I think HCD should have been harsher on a city that was more gaming the system consistently. And I don't mind that they are like, like there is a little bit of San Diego. We're going to trust you a little bit. We're going to put you on probation, but we're going to trust that you're not the worst actor in the world because you do have a little bit of a track record of following through on your plans and on turning it around and becoming more pro housing. And so we're going to like trust, but verify a little here whereas there would be no trust in Cupertino. Like, come on, give me a break. You you can't do Cupertino. They openly conspire at their city council meetings of like how to undo the housing element.
0: And not only is that right, but also because this guidance was released in June, all of the greater LA region. So 191 local agencies, cities and counties who have elements due in October, must comply with this rule. So I think that San Diego is uh, in the- getting the benefit of the doubt from yeah. the state of California. But now that this stuff has been daylighted, now that this document exists, these expectations are out in the open and the syllabus is clear and there's a rubric to support it, the greater LA region... Our friends in South Pasadena, our friends in Redondo Beach, our friends in, in Riverside and the Palos Vetters Peninsula, you know, our friend, Mr. Portentino and his lovely community of <laughs> Lock, you know, Flint Ridge are going to be in for a rude awakening. Because if you did what you were required to do back in 2005 or 2012 and you try that now. The rules have changed. We, I mean, we spent five minutes talking about all the new laws and all the different people doing stuff. The rules have changed. And if you try to play a different game than the one that the state is playing today, you will not succeed.
1: I mean, we got to knock on wood, you know? I mean, you can't just say that. You got to knock on wood and you got to get everybody uh, excited to be housing element watchdogs. Because I think this is the other thing is like, the documentation exists. HCD has put out, this is what Affirmatively Furthering Fair Housing means. They've handed it over to the local agencies. The local agencies are clutching their pearls. The cities are gasping. They're like, what? Housing? Oh my, we have to make a plan. And then as they make their plan, we need to be monitoring what they're submitting and helping HCD come to the same conclusions that we do about what makes for a good plan and what makes for a bad plan. I mean, that's where your job is just so freaking important because we need, like, you know, this is, I feel like in some ways the YIMBY movement has been building to this, right? It's like, we need a nerd army who's like, we're gonna read complex planning documents and determine if they comply with state law. And I'm like, ah, I have a group of people who enthusiastically do that, led by John Wizard.
0: Yeah, love being a housing nerd. It's truly (laughs) a a gift from on high. Um, So just by way of example, a short story, uh, Arroyo Grande, a small coastal community in San Luis Obispo County. They submit their housing element before, I think it was December of 2020. So they did, no AFFH in their plan whatsoever, mm. zero. I talked to some folks in I uh, did some digging, and it looks like maybe Arroyo Grande's numbers don't quite line up with regard to how many ADUs they think they can permit and how many ADUs they did permit. I compile a report, send that to uh, our friends at HCD, and when I am talking to them yesterday about San Diego's element, I hear an apology about how I haven't had time to look at your Arroyo Grande packet in detail, but it sure looks like they lied to us. So uh, as soon as I can get up uh, and get a breath of air, I'm going to reach out to them and we're going to review their housing element and uh, we might have to decertify it if it turns out that they fudge the numbers. Oh, that's great news. Like there's, it's not like the state's afraid to wield their authority. They just need, you know, clear and compelling evidence that things aren't working. And so when the state sends this letter to the city of San Diego, a paragraph dedicated to, we like the idea of your AFFH, but we need to see it actually happen. I don't think it's going to take a lot of convincing to tell the state, look, they didn't do it. It's been 3 years, it's been 5 years they haven't done it. There was a vote on this and they affirmatively voted it down. It's not coming back. They didn't hit the mark.
1: I don't <laughs> think that
0: HCD is going to need to be pushed yeah. on that one. Well, and then, you know, the hopeful part of
1: me, if any city is going to be capable of over the next few years passing a package of bills that genuinely affirmatively further's fair housing, I do think it's San Diego. So maybe this trust is actually not misplaced. I like this idea that they've been put on housing element probation. I feel like that's very understandable. It took me a while yeah. to be like, what is happening here? It's like, you said, yes, but. But I do think that of all the cities, like I wouldn't trust San Francisco. I wouldn't, tr- there are many cities I would not trust. But the question is going to be, are we, gonna put on or are we going to put untrustworthy cities on probation? Are we going to put you know, I mean, this will be the big question as these roll out. What's the next big date of when we're going to see a whole bunch more determinate? It's not a ruling, right? Because it's not a court. It's a determination or acceptance rejection?
0: Yeah. So the state's required to certify or not certify a housing element. And so SCAG, the Southern California Association of Governments, a violent word in it itself. <laughs> SCAG's elements are due on October 15th, but there's this tiny little provision that says you get 120 days after your due date for the purposes of the public hearings, because you have to notice them. There's a 30-day curing period for ordinances. So there's a 120-day period after the due date where it's still acceptable to submit it and you can uh, not be penalized through the government code. However, we have some friends in the legislature and i this is the second or third time i've forgotten this legislator's name don't tell him but um he wrote a he bill that was
1: right now. Uh, that
0: was that was passed uh it's waiting on the governor's desk that says if you adopt your housing element more than 120 days after the due date instead of being allowed to rezone for new housing in your community in three years, which is currently the law, you must do it within one year. And so oh, cities, cities are, you know, now there is an incentive. So before uh, Rancho Palos Verdes, Rolling Hills Estates, Calabasas, there were, and, and I think we're going to see a couple up in the Bay area, maybe like like a Fairfax or uh, an Antioch. I'm not exactly sure where, but they're, there are cities that never did a fifth cycle housing element. They just said to hell with it. We're not going to bother. And then they went, oh shoot, there's a new law that says if we don't have a fifth cycle housing element, all of our arena, all of our housing allocation rolls over to the sixth cycle. Let's hurry up and get one submitted. Oh so Cal- so they're Calabasas on their fifth cycle now, in addition
1: yep. to their sixth. Cycle. That is ridiculous.
0: Yeah. <laughs> within the last couple of months, a, a handful of of SoCal cities did that because they didn't want to add last cycle to this cycle. So you got the state of California sending letters to people saying your housing element that was due in 2013 has now been approved and certified by the state of California. Okay, so (laughs) we'll park that. But all these cities that are due October 15th, which is technically also February 12th of 2022, they have three years to complete a rezoning program. You know, we got a Costa Mesa is a perfect example. They got arena of two for the last cycle, just two. One very low income and one moderate home. That's it. This year they've got 9,000. And so they need to rezone. There's no way they're gonna just, oh yeah, we have space, we've got vacant land, here's an underutilized or abandoned university campus and we can just create a whole new village. So there's no way they can complete this without rezoning. They have three years from the date their housing element is adopted complete that. So public public meetings, the EIR, you know, the environmental review, the actual specific plan to rezone and and adopt it as an ordinance and change their land use. If they submit on day 121 or later, that period of time gets shrunk down to one year, which good luck. Yeah. I mean, this is, oh gosh,
1: this stuff is so complicated. The plans to rezone and, and I guess, actually, let's pull back. What happens if and when, hopefully, HCD declares housing elements out of compliance, rejects them? I think this is the big, like, how big are the consequences for cities going to be? And I feel like we haven't really seen in practice, I mean, this is going to be like, what does it mean in practice when a city has an out of compliant housing element? And when is HCD going to not, give people this like extensions and gray zone bullshit of not wanting to officially declare? Well, those are two separate questions. I'll let you answer the first one first.
0: Sure. The first one is there's a sliding scale of pain. And the first is fines and fees. You know, you can be charged up to anywhere from 10 to a hundred thousand dollars a month for having a housing element that's out of compliance. Next is you're not eligible for state grants. And that includes both the non-competitive planning grants that come through the transfer tax here in California, real estate transfer tax, all the way up to discretionary money, like if your city's applying for uh, home grants or Cal home grants or other competitive affordable housing products. The next is some mandated compliance where the court orders the city to do a thing and the city must comply short of becoming or, or getting into contempt of court. The next is, hey, fuckers you didn't listen to me, the judge. (laughs) Now we're going to take your housing element away from you and I'm going to appoint a master planner to do your housing element for you. And if you don't like it, that's too bad. And then the next is uh, a moratorium where the court says, you cannot permit residential remodels. No new bathrooms, no new kitchens. You can't approve new businesses. (laughs) You are in purgatory. So that's, that is the penalty phase for having a non-compliant, uncertified or decertified housing element. We haven't gotten there yet because all those rules got adopted. All those laws got put in the books in the last several years. So how does the state of California say, okay, Calabasas, your plan was due in 2013. It's now 2020, late 2020, early 2021. Your next plan is due in October, and we're going to refer you to the Department of Justice because you – are seven and a half years late, oh, by the way, there's some case law from a prior court decision that says that once the new housing element is due, the previous one is no longer enforceable. So if we can't get before a judge before October, I guess it doesn't really matter. But these rules didn't come online fast enough for the cities to actually be held accountable. And so that's why I think, to go back to what I said earlier about, you know, just hang on a little bit, Nobody wants to hear that, but I think we're really at the beginning of this paradigm shift and we haven't had time to watch these things play out yet. Well, I think, you know, I mean,
1: that that balance of being impatient and sort of like hungering for more and how can we, is driving our ability to push HCD to enforce the laws that they are written. I do think that like our intolerance for the current status quo, like I don't want people to be it's a balance, right? Don't drive yourself totally freaking crazy. Like I drove myself completely crazy at various aspects of this long journey, but demand that these laws that we passed actually mean something. I think that's where I know a lot of people saw that San Diego's housing element was accepted. And the first reaction was this like deep emotional, like what the fuck was the point of passing all of these laws if HCD is going to accept a mediocre housing element? And then you sort of dig into it a little bit and you're like, okay, actually the housing element they put forward based on what you're saying, the AFFH rules were not as set when they did theirs. They're going to be a little bit tighter for the next round of housing elements that are submitted. Okay. Also there's doing this, probation thing. Okay. But I mean, that my first reaction to that was like, Oh, my freaking God, HCD is not going to crack down on cities. And maybe this entire system isn't going to work. But I think you're right, that like, we're at the beginning. And this is that they didn't say yes, they said, Okay, maybe. And we'll check in on you.
0: Yeah. And that was the same approach they took with the city of San Diego's site inventory the city of San Diego's arena was something close to 80,000. And while I would have done it very differently had I been in charge, the city put forward about 110,000 spaces. And so while some of those spaces are one-year-old office or apartment complexes that are five stories tall, and there's no way in hell those will be redeveloped, if you have 30 or 40% more of quote-unquote available sites than you're required to have, is it impossible that you meet your arena? Is it impossible that you succeed? No. But to the the state's point, to HCD's point, you know, you gotta show us that this is working. We're not gonna just take this at face value. So every two years, we need a report on how it's going, what progress you've made, what things you're gonna need to change or adapt as this plan evolves before we get to the end of the eighth year, because we have some suspicion about these sites and we're not certain it's going to work, but we don't want to tell you it's not going to work because we don't really know.
1: This is what's going to be really interesting. I think across the state, as far as the site inventory and likelihood of development and inside housing nerddom, we've been talking about this a lot of what is the likelihood of development. HCD has put out guidance about how to measure it, but our, Are cities going to be realistic about how likely an individual site that they are identifying as a place where housing might go? How accurate are they being about likelihood of development? And we have strengthened tenants protections and especially tenant protecting demolition controls. So like historically, cities did up zone places where there was existing multifamily housing and they sort of knew that that multifamily housing might not get torn down but then also they didn't do a good job protecting tenants and making sure that that multifamily housing didn't get torn down so we did see housing that was lower income get torn down and get replaced with new Whatever kind of housing, and and then they would get RENA credit for that, which is just outrageous. Right, right. So we've closed that loophole, and we've made it so much harder to tear down existing multifamily housing. And cities are still trying to pretend that they're going to be able to build where there's existing multifamily housing. I mean, and like, luckily for us, that's not going to happen. But also, is hdb going to tell them? No, you're cheating on your homework because we're also not going to let you tear down existing multifamily housing to build new multifamily housing. How much is HCD going to say like, no, 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 we fully intend to severely enforce tenant protecting demolition controls and make sure that your bad plan doesn't happen. So no, this is a bad plan. You're going to have to put the housing on the parking lot next door in the single family home only neighborhood, all of that. Stuff. Did I, what do you think of what I've just said?
0: It's HCD developed a spreadsheet that standardizes how cities report their site inventories, where they expect housing to go. On that sheet is a net new units column. And so where a city says, look, HCD, we've permitted 50 new homes. Sure, but what's the net new units? Oh, two. So cities are now not incentivized to play that game because they know that they're only going to get credit for the two. They're not going to get credit for 50. And then further on top of that is some outstanding legislation from uh, Nancy Skinner in the East Bay about tenant protections through SB 167 and SB 330 that strengthened the Housing Accountability Act um, of 19, whatever year it was, and then added new things to it as the Housing Crisis Act. And then this year SB8, she gets the Housing Crisis Act extended for like another five or six years. So there are strong, almost, you wouldn't even bother trying to get over or around them tenant protections that will disincentivize cities from permitting new projects where existing housing exists. And as a function that forces new projects to places where there is one-story strip malls, abandoned gas stations. That remainder lot that nobody's ever done anything with is suddenly a seven-story apartment building that's a skinny tower. That is the, you know, it's sort of an inside-out game. If you just say, here is the white list of rules on how you can do things, people will find a way to get around those and still comply with the rules, you know, the letter of the law. If you say, but here's a blacklist of things that you absolutely cannot do, you squeeze the city, and they have to follow the letter and the spirit of the law.
1: It's interesting because it, I mean it's exactly what we want as far as tenant protecting demolition controls and ensuring we're we're really living that value of development without displacement. It's like it's complicated, but I actually think we are making progress on that across the entire state, and it's going to take a lot of enforcement. But the cities, in their effort to, like, shove the housing under the couch, you know, in the graveyard, on places where there's already existing multifamily housing, in their desire, you know, this kind of, like, cat and mouse game we've been playing, right, where the city tries to put it in places that they think are unlikely to develop, now hopefully the state is going to be saying, no, we're taking likelihood of development into serious consideration and therefore not giving you a lot of credit for places that are unlikely to develop. It's also based on can we make sure that everybody understands and believes and and is in practice operating with protection in mind that we are not going to be building housing on existing multifamily housing, and we get cities to ask more of their, I mean, we've got these two really powerful pieces of legislation, the tenant protecting demolition controls, and also coupling that with affirmatively furthering fair housing means that we're going to be asking so much more of our high opportunity neighborhood of places that are largely zoned single family home only. Like there's just this real opportunity to, but the cities are going to have to vote on it. And I, you know, like, yeah. Being that going to city councils is going to be interesting. I mean, pop your popcorn, watch yeah. them try to get around affirmatively furthering fair housing.
0: Well, on top of that, as part of this tenant protections program, you have to find that the current structure, the current apartments, create either a public health hazard or are a public <laughs> nuisance. There's and, and not public nuisance like, oh, Good that luck. the building is the wrong paint, but public nuisance like, <laughs> It's on a liquefaction zone and we just had a 6.0 earthquake and there's a problem with the building stability, it's yellow tagged and we actually have to tear it down in order to support not having this dangerous structure on our streets. There's no way a city can make those objective findings with a straight face unless there is an underlying emergency that requires it. And so there's no way that a city council is going to be able to say thumbs up to displacing existing renters. And there's no way that a city can look across their site inventory and go, gee, I don't know where else this could go. There's nowhere else that this apartment building might work. So there's there's great incentive for cities to do the right thing. And I think that's sort of the box that we as a state the box that we have to operate within is as so long as cities have that local zoning and permitting authority, we can't make them do anything. But we can give them clear guidelines that say, here are all the rules. And if you don't follow along, Rob Bonta is excited to be a pro-housing attorney general. YIMBY <laughs> yep, Action, YIMBY Law are excited to be pro-housing litigants. California YIMBY is excited to be pro-housing lobbyists. We are not playing around. And so, sure, city, you can say no. How'd that work out for San Mateo?
1: <laughs> I mean, this is what's going to be so great, knock on wood, every time I say that. It's going to be so great, knock on wood. I do think that cities, for now, in California, have won the argument about local control. And so they are going to have local control, local arguments. And I wonder how many cities are going to decide that actually local control is not fun at all. I mean, I don't know if you can go through. I mean, city council is a hard job that people, I don't, I mean, whew, it's a hard job. I can't imagine especially if you're in a place where and especially if you know what the right thing to do is, but you're getting a lot of heat from your citizens like that's just that's just hard. I, I don't deny that that's a hard position to be in. And especially if you know that the state is gonna crack down, especially if you know that like there isn't as much wiggle room and so you've got on the one hand, citizens saying, we don't want you to upzone wealthy neighborhoods. And on the other hand, you've got the state saying you must affirmatively further fair housing. And then you as a city council person have to vote to adopt a compliant housing element. And maybe you're worried that, that they're going to hold you responsible and therefore vote you out of office. Like, I think there's going to be a lot, I mean, especially in our most exclusionary cities, it's I going think to be really interesting to watch how they have these arguments.
0: Yeah, that's the catch 22 is I need to be, you know, I'm a NIMBY. I get elected to city council so that I can say no to these new developments and protect my neighborhood's character, my community's character. And then we make a decision. We get sued to kingdom come and our attorney goes, you got to undo that and you have to approve it. There's no other way. And now I get to own approving the thing that I said I would never approve over my cold dead body. (laughs) And now now my constituents are saying, you're 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 a a patsy, you're a developer shill, you're in the pockets of big tech, whatever, you know, nonsense they all say. And now my quote unquote friends who helped get me elected to office have turned on me and now I'm alone and I didn't do anything wrong and I'm being vilified for it that's not a great situation to be in and so i can see an outcome where a city decides to avail themselves of the opt-out clause and and sort of park their local control you know put it on the shelf and that's possible today and the only thing a city is required to do to achieve that is to take discretion out of land use decisions so if they want to control what type of density goes on a site, if they want to control how much setback, how much private open space, how much public open space, how many stories of height, whether underground parking is allowed, all of those are discretionary things where the city council can just say yay or nay. But if the city parks all of that authority and creates truly objective design standards and not barely passing objective design standards that are really still subjective, then what they do is they they get into this situation that was defined in a, a lawsuit where the plaintiff's name was McCorkle, so that's an easy word to remember. And in the McCorkle decision, the court found that as long as it's only aesthetic decisions about the type of roof material, whether it's you know Spanish tile or roof shingle, the color, whether there's uh, paint on the window trim, as long as they're purely aesthetic decisions, it's not discretionary. And if it's not discretionary, it doesn't trigger CEQA. If it doesn't trigger CEQA, we don't need to have a public hearing. And then you can just approve everything with your zoning administrator.
1: Man, I mean, it's hard for me to imagine that that a city could decide to not have a bunch of hearings. Like the way, where we are in California right now, that we're so far down the, we must debate every little thing. But it's not fun. I mean, nobody actually, I mean, this is what I, I don't know. There are NIMBYs who do really enjoy these hearings, but it just makes everybody so mad at each other, the, all of yeah. this discretion and not sort of deciding what the rules of the roads are. It's, it's as, I mean, rules of the road, right? It's as if we were like redebating every time you drove down the road and you thought like somebody was driving a little poorly, you both got out of your car and yelled at each other for a while. And then you like (laughs) called a hearing to have, you know, it's just, it's not fun to live your life that way. We need there to be rules and objective standards. But cities have really opted to not have a rule of law framework around housing decisions. They've chosen to go down this path of debating every little thing and, and making, I mean, frankly, like, You know, everybody hates the nimby-yimby dichotomy because, you know, it's like, oh, it's saying that there's no nuance, nimby-yimby. The system is set up to have people go head-to-head like this. That is what happens when you have to make over and over again the yes or no decision rather than having a framework of these are the rules, we're going to follow them. Like, the reason we mobilize yes is because we're constantly having the same debate over and over again. And so there has to be a mobilized yes until we're in this new framework where we have more objective standards. You know, the yes has to keep showing up. I, yeah. We can't sort of all become nice nuanced to people until we are setting rules like I can't wait to stand down in the action and be like, we're all just going to go do something else for a while. You know, <laughs> <laughs> let's do transit next or whatever. But like, the yeah. mobile, like, yes, has to be mobilized because of this argument framework that is set up.
0: Right. And so when you want to change the you want to build a shed in your backyard, you want to redo your kitchen you wanna switch from carpet to hardwood floor, you have to get a permit. But you go to City Hall or you fill out a piece of paper and you're done. No neighbors get to talk about what that looks like. The state said, well, let's try that with granny units. Let's try that with granny flats and ADU. And now all of a sudden, permits are in some places, I think in LA, it's like 12 times what it was in the previous three year period. And in places you know, much smaller, like the suburbs outside of uh, San Jose, You know, maybe it's three or four times as high, but we see that the reason we're not getting the production is because of this discretionary, it matters what your neighbor says and why you, I mean, I'm, I'm a Democrat, I'm not a libertarian, but I think you, there is a fair argument to, you know, don't tread on me. This is my property. This is my home. And if I want to build an ADU, leave me alone. And if I want to build a duplex, leave me alone. It's not yours. And so what? I have have to look at your ugly car. I have to look at your ugly car. I have to look at your (laughs) bright greenhouse. Why don't I get to build a duplex, but you can do what you want to do? Why do we have a system that rewards what your neighbors feel about how you live? And until we can get out of that framework and that mentality, I I don't know that there's um, a lot of hope for us to stand this effort down. And I think as long as the state of California allows cities and counties to exercise this level of discretion, we will be in this condition. And so if that's sort of like, you know, we had all these ADU bills that preempted, you know, local control on ADUs, maybe that becomes a state objective design law, where if you don't adopt your own local objective design standards by, you know, fill in the blank date, these ones the state has developed shall prevail. And, then we don't have to worry about that so much. Or we can just say, like SB 9, duplexes are allowed by right. Or we can say, like SB 10, you have to allow up to 10 homes. Or we can say, like with Tasha Berner Horvath's bill, where a multifamily housing project would be allowable, so too must a cottage court or bungalow court, you know, small, single-family, fee-simple properties, as opposed to condos or apartments only. And now while that one kind of threads the needle between NIMBY complaints on, we don't want more apartments, we want single family homes that fit the character of the community. It threads the needle on NIMBYism in that it allows the construction, it creates home ownership opportunities. There are smaller homes, which are more affordable by design. And so it's not necessarily, you know, trying to appease people. I think it's a genuinely good bill from someone who consistently votes no on housing things.
1: <laughs> you know, I'm gonna use a non-housing example. One of my favorite bars, The way that they got their permit for their backyard patio, their neighbors who were going to appeal their permits came the day before the hearing and said, If you give us unlimited chicken wings and a beer and a shot every time we come in, we won't object to your permit. And this small business owner was like, well, I guess I have to give these motherfuckers unlimited chicken wings. He gave in. And so now these neighbors get unlimited chicken wings. And I'm just like, it's so galling. Yeah. And that also that they would be so shameless, yeah. like, like that they're going to then consistently show their face and be like, yeah, we got you. I, I just... That is not a rule of law based society where somebody can sort of hold things over people's heads like that. Yeah, I mean, that's every day.
0: Yeah, that's there's a term for it. It's called greenmailing, where you blackmail people for superficially environmental based complaints around a project. Oh, it's going to impact the sunlight. Oh, no, it's going to. Uh, increased traffic and more greenhouse gas emissions and so in order for us as a community group or a neighborhood association or a, or a a neighbor with an adjoining lot line to not appeal your permit we'll need some concessions for, from you and those those sort of individual you know one off under the table deals happen all the time and whether they're legally binding or not you know I, I don't practice law but they're, real. they're happening. I mean, real.
1: side deals. I mean, this is my whole thing. The NIMBYs make far more from develop developers than the NIMBYs because they're getting paid off all the time. Yep. It's crazy.
0: It truly right,
1: is. So we've gone far afield, but it's been a fun field to explore with you, John. Always a pleasure. Um, For those who have just tuned in at the end, what's the top line takeaway on San Diego, their housing element, and this idea that we're going to be putting cities on probation? Are we we mixed feelings? We're happy. We're worried. We're monitoring. Are we putting HCD on probation?
0: All is not lost, and I think it's right or it's fair to have some cautious optimism now that the rules of the game are firmly established and we're no longer in this sort of uh, limbo between this law hasn't yet taken effect, but they submitted part of it before and after. That's a lot of complicated stuff. We're now in a place where everything is on the table and we have an expectation that the state of California is gonna really clear their throat and allow good cities to go on and carry on and, and do good things. And those bad cities are gonna get Checked.
1: I love it. And anyone who wants to quiz John Wizard on how many cities across California can he list, please tag John Wizard, because I think he's named half of them. It's the best form of name dropping we've ever had, where John's able to rattle off 18 cities in a row. John, you are tracking these cities. You are keeping them accountable. And anybody here who's having a lot of fun nerding out on this, Please become a housing element watchdog. Please join John's army. And I'm gonna share the link out from Yimby Action and Yimby Law. John, thank you so much.
0: It was my pleasure, Laura. Let's show our teeth to these cities and be housing element watchdogs.
1: Yes. Thank you. Hey everyone, Kenneth here, one of the infill producers. If you're not already a member, Go to yimbyaction.org and become a member today. Yimby Action is advocating for the policy solutions we need, whether that's emergency funding for housing for those who need it most, or a pro-housing legislative package that will steer us towards an equitable recovery. We're producing great events, important discussions, and helping local advocates push policies of inclusion and housing for all. And if you believe this work is important and valuable, I want to really urge you to become a supporting member. September is Membership Month, so if you join today, you'll get a free
0: Legalize Housing T-shirt. You can do that, as I said, by going to yimbyaction.org/join. Thanks so much.